Chapter 2. The Immaterium Orbital Command, this is PDF Command Hydra Cluster, requesting direct connection to General Kilhaven. Highest encryption. OC copies, upgrading the connection now. This is General Kilhaven. Blaine, this is Colonel DeFranc. We had a training run go bad on us this morning. Your son was critically injured. It was supposed to be a routine rabbit patrol. What went wrong? He managed to find his way into the Underhive. Feth, who pulled him out? A team of Adeptus Arbitus. I'll never hear the end of that from Lord Rayner. Have you notified Commander Kilhaven or my wife? No. Good. I'll be returning tomorrow or the day after. Notify Commander Kilhaven, but ask him to keep it quiet until I get there. How are the negotiations with the Astra Militarum? Going slower than we thought. We've got a billion potential recruits in the Hydra Cluster alone, and we're not asking for that much in return. Understood. Sorry for the bad news. Tanda, what's Peric's condition? He's got a few burns and lacerations, but the Medicae believes he was electrocuted. His nervous system is shot. They've put him in a coma to control the seizures and keep his heart beating at a reasonable rate. They're not sure if it will work. Beam me a report with all the details. Thanks for the heads up. Killhaven out. Behind the scenes of real space, there exists a chaos-filled part of the universe known by any number of extraordinary names. Scientists claim that the immaterium is far greater in both matter and energy than the mundane reality we all know and love. They call it dark matter or chaos, and it leaks into our universe at an unpredictable rate. The ecclesiarchy calls it the Sea of Souls, while most of us just call it the Warp. Those sensitive to it can wield its immense power in unimaginable ways. Anyone born with such a gift is labeled a psyker and outlawed at every level of society on Fulcrum Four. The Imperium of Mankind takes things one step further, viewing the warp as both a disruptive, life-threatening enemy and a useful tool. As a source of seemingly intelligent chaos, the warp's dark energy offers every challenge possible to the expansion and preservation of mankind, but it also offers an incredible shortcut that allows one to turn a journey of centuries into weeks or even days. Our vast hold on the galaxy wouldn't exist without it. The Ecclesiarchy has proclaimed that the psychic energy of our immortal emperor back on Terra is all that holds our far-flung civilization together and keeps the chaos at bay. Viewing the emperor as immortal seems odd, given that countless numbers of citizens are sacrificed every year to sustain his life. The exotic syringes had been daggers meant to pierce my soul, and their silver-colored curses opened doors into another dimension. The unreal entities slipped through those openings into my mind at seemingly random moments, stealing my sanity and sapping my life. Kiskaman and Zaxaes were creatures of the warp, and I had become their pet. While completely ethereal in nature, their bodies seemed to be made of an exotic metal that only existed at the coldest of temperatures. I shivered whenever they drew near. Their faces were mirrors of silver-backed ice, offering me a view of my being that I never wanted to see again. I was their playground, and I paid the price for their presence on this side of the cosmic veil. As parasites, the two entities weren't allied to me or each other. They pushed and pulled on my energy, stealing heat, bending reality, and scouring my mind for weaknesses and wounds. They'd been given a shell to explore, and the creatures discovered things I could never imagine. It never seemed personal. I was merely a spectator trapped in their horror show. My ethereal body had been ripped free from its physical host early on. I still had a permanent connection back to my body, 
a silver cord running to the Medicaid ward of the Overhive, and could follow it home given a chance, but I traveled at the whim of the unreal. The pit existed outside the hive as a mock portal to oblivion, and I never wanted to know of its existence, let alone visit. Kiskamen dragged me there every day, sailing invisibly through the most dangerous sections of the subhive and in between the vast pillars of an ancient abandoned construction shaft. As cosmic parasites went, Kiska was a vicious, mind-bending rat, a devious collector, and a survivor. Its idea of a good time was utterly appalling. Two miles underground, the pit grew like a tumor on the side of Hydra Secundus, a pre-existing condition that shared the outer walls of sectors 99B and 100B. The deep excavation seemed like a heretic's gold mine, hosting the sickly glow of discarded offerings and substances best left untouched. There were illegal weapons, syringes full of chems or noisy glowing chaotic daggers, broken altars and bones and bodies, plenty of bodies in every state of abuse and decay. Some corpses had been dumped without care, while others were placed as if part of some sick, exotic ritual. The hive's recycling core would have thrown a fit if they ever got wind of the place. I certainly had. Kisco rode the corpses like a ghost, diving into each and peering out from dead eyes in a twisted game of hide-and-seek. The beast wouldn't bring me back through the hive to my hospital bed until I'd found it three times. I could sense its presence and those of other inhuman creatures living within the pit. Giant rats tunneled about, eluding larger predators, and occasionally another human or two would arrive at an upper portal with another deposit. Nobody ever made any withdrawals. Zaxay's was a bully and didn't like to share. I retched whenever the two entities appeared at the same time, each pulling on my waning energy as they warred across the landscape of the Hive City. Zax treated Kisco like a pet, assuming one fought with its pet on a daily basis, pouncing on it and getting plenty of pain in return. Each creature had a pair of psychic claws and plenty of tricks to wield in their constant battles. Zaxay's didn't coax or drag me around like Kiskamen. It simply took over and laughed all the while, doing whatever it pleased with my mind. It would leave me inside the pit's cadavers, somehow sewn in place or drained to the decimal point of death. Whenever I managed to break free, I was rewarded with a hunting expedition across the lowest sectors of the city. Zax was some sort of cosmic hunter, often taking the astral form of an unrelenting hound. It could stalk the lower hive for days, searching for power among the many hidden lairs or the cast-offs of society. It even circled the core reactor shafts that penetrated the ground deep beneath the city, avoiding the defenses and siphoning off residual energy for its consumption. In everything, my mind was simply along for the ride. Zax followed devious patterns, always looking ahead and anticipating its target's path, waiting in ambush for it to appear around a seemingly random corner. I didn't know if anyone else could detect its ethereal presence, but the cosmic hunter blended in with its surroundings, diverting light and scrambling sensors. When it struck, it drained the energy from its prey, leaving its victims in a stupor. I never saw it kill anyone directly, but at times, it overloaded energy weapons, causing them to burn out or explode, and it once knocked out an entire squad of PDF in a single well-timed rush. Zax would often linger at a corner or a door moments before a target appeared. I watched it predict the encounter, as if it knew ahead of time where its mark would be and what it would deliver. Throwing a psychic punch up close, it would leave the victim cold and unconscious. Other times, Zax would suddenly flee, flashing images of an unseen foe in my mind. In my failing state, 
I was bewildered and unable to grasp the idea of anything that would scare it away. The daggers had been contracts, burned into my physical and ethereal bodies. Caught up in a situation far beyond my comprehension, I had been overbold and was paying the price for my folly. If I hadn't tried to protect Neville Dale, I was sure I could have survived this ordeal. Kisco was the first to notice my impending demise. The cost of each warp creature was different, and I was certain I could suffer Kiskaman's wrath for years if I must, but adding in the far more demanding Zaxes was breaking me down. I finally understood that each creature blamed the other for my frailty and that I was the major source of their conflicts. In its deviousness, Kisco offered me two things critical to my survival. The first was a bit of psychic energy from the hind quarter of Zaxes. I felt stronger as it rolled through me. Most of the energy had originally been mine, after all. The rest half froze me to my core. Kisco circled me and drew off the icy pain, collecting the harsh alien energy for itself. By sharing its meal, it was showing me how to survive. The second was an example of what it's like to be hunted. Dragging me along, Kisco boldly left the pit and spent the next three days hiding from Zaxays in the endless, twisted alleyways of the lower hive. The fact that we made it three whole days before the hunter caught us was due in no small part to my growing ability to detect the warp creature before it detected us. There was an art to being prey, and through Kiskaman's abuse, I was learning it. While Kisco had offered me a hint at how I might pull through, I needed to learn Zax's secrets too. It was time for the hound to pay up. Until it did, I had only one way out of this dwindling slide. Life in the overhive can be harsh, kids being kids, bullies being bullies, the insane being sedated and strapped to a bed. Welcome to my nightmare. I'd been in a coma for three months when the doctors decided to wake me up and see if they could get me to join the fight. Their sensors were oblivious to the alien creatures that left me flailing in terror. They didn't know that I'd been fighting for months, trying to regain ownership of my body, mind, and soul. The sound of Medicaid machines around me going haywire had become a regular part of my existence, whether I was still a part of it or not. Sometimes the alarms were real as my heart staggered, tripped, and fell. Other times the machines simply argued or blacked out under the strain. I felt like it was somehow my fault that they couldn't keep up, or that they fought, or that they wouldn't listen. I used what little concentration I had left to sustain them, trying to shield the sensors from further harm. It didn't always work. Okay, it rarely worked, but it was better than spending more time in the pit. Feth. Within a week, the doctors all agreed on the proper next step and called in a priest, figuring I had days to live at best. Having done the math a thousand times, I couldn't disagree with their assessment. The discordant beeps of the Medicaid monitors backed us up. Each sister city in the Hydra Cluster had a temple of the Ecclesiarchy, that took up a sizable chunk of Sector 98A, with true sunlight streaming into it through shielded and reinforced plasglass. That same light was copied and broadcast to all the hive sectors, imparting day and night, dawn and dusk, where none existed apart from the official hive time. Our time followed the clock of Imperial Terra, marking each day by the passing of 24 standard hours. The cycles of artificial sunlight mimicked those experienced by the Emperor and his privileged minions in the far-distant Segmentum Solar. Every noble house on the planet of Fulcrum IV owed an eternal debt to the Ecclesiarchy. The rulers of the Imperial cult ordained all the powers on the planet, elevating or demoting whole families as they saw fit. 
The noble house of Kilhaven was no exception. A tithe was taken from all planetary defense force funding on an annual basis, whether it was needed or not. As a teenager, I'd barely paid attention to the details at the Scola Primaris, where the basics were drilled into all of our self-absorbed heads. Separate from the hive-based temples and encompassing a city all its own, the Fulcrum IV Cathedral stood like a pyramid, growing out of the tundra 2,000 miles upriver from the Hydra Cluster. Some said we drank the piss of priests and were blessed for it. Perhaps that is what sustained me through my dreadful days. Confessor Xavier Lewin certainly seemed to think so. Parrick, did you hear me? I'd heard the priest clearly, but I was suffering another bout of warp-sanctioned violence and doing my best to not rip the man's head off. Zax and Kisco were using their psychic claws to reopen old wounds during tonight's proceedings, and my soul-rending screams were taking their toll on everyone in the room. His straps are secure, Confessor. Please ignore his utterings and continue. The sound of my father's calm voice shook me up further. Utterings? Had tragedy struck our family twice, impairing us both? Confessor Lewin clamped his hand on my forehead in a bold bid to keep me still. I have come to offer a blessing in the name of the Emperor seated on his golden throne. Let us all take a moment to picture his posture, his face, and the glow of his ever-present power. Lewin's hand felt hot as it vied with my cadaver-like chill. The machines around me garbled and clicked, summoning the ward attendant as I fought a sudden urge to bite the confessor. Down, Kisco. Down. The pit was calling my name. Feth. A splash of water dribbled on my forehead and ran down into my eyes. A gift of holy water from our cathedral on terror, said Lewin. May it bring mercy where there is none. At least my father got something for his unending contributions. The water smelled like piss to me. Everything did. Still... I needed time more than I needed a bath. Confessor Lewin got up to leave. The conjugal visit was over. Hi, I coughed. Peric? My father seemed confused by the quick results of Lewin's wet work. Hibernate, I finally managed. The Medicaid procedure would set House Kilhaven back almost as much as a genuine bottle of holy water. But I was desperate. The rites of death had been granted. Lewin was aghast. Why would he request such a thing? I could see the confessor's inbred skepticism. Year, I drooled. Need, find, emperor's face. My father responded to Lewin. It would be a mercy. His time would pass without pain. You would ignore the more merciful gift of the emperor. My father knew that a gift was never without cost, where the ecclesiarchy was concerned. Confessor, given enough time, your gift might make all the difference. The two men faced off in silence, deciding my fate. One asked for patience. The other, cornered, offered an accusation. Lord Kilhaven, I've reviewed Parrick's history. He has exhibited latent psyker abilities. He might have punched General Kilhaven in the gut and gotten less of a reaction. My father loomed over the man. Confessor Lewin, Parrick was tested at age five and hasn't shown any outward signs in that regard since. Cardinal Kirkov declared it beneath notice. And thus it was law. That's true, said Lewin. But given enough time, things can change. 